Yesterday on Fish and Paul Bunyan Country, we checked in with Nicole Kovar, AIS specialist out of Park Rapids, and discussed zebra mussels. Today, we take a look at the aquatic plants that have been bothering our lakes, specifically Eurasian water milfoil and starry stonewort. But then we get to talk to Bro Brosdahl once again and talk about fishing for the weekend. He takes a look at Lake Winnie and much, much more. It's all coming up next. Thank God it's Friday, gonna cast out a line. The afternoon sun is flying oh so high. I'm a peaceful kind of guy, most usually. But I'm hunting on the fishes in the deep blue sea. Making sure my bait is all nice and stinky. Gonna add a little lead and make the bait go sinky. We can wait another day to do the patchwork laundry. Cause now we're going this is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country presented by Northland Fishing Tackle. It's never fun to talk about aquatic invasive species, but it is important for those of us who care about the waters of Paul Bunyan Country. Nicole Kovar is an AIS specialist with the DNR out of Park Rapids, and she returns today as we continue the conversation. Talked a lot about zebra mussels and their effects yesterday. Today we're going to talk about plants, in particular Eurasian water milfoil and starry stonewort. And Nicole, starry stonewort was something you heard a lot about a couple of years ago, and then we haven't heard as much the last couple of years. What's going on with starry stonewort? We do have some spread. It's not an explosion, but it's moving. So the first year we had, I believe it was four lakes and five, if you want to call Winnie, um, that were all found. Now, did they all get infested in the same year, like officially, in, you know, in, the, in nature? Did it all show up at the same year, or did we just notice it all in the same year? I don't know, right? And Sarasdonor is one thing that we can't put a finger on when exactly it might have got to the state, and that is likely because in that family of, of algae, and it's a macroalgae, an aquatic plant surveyor was surveying, not knowing that starry stonewort like, existed, the only way on some of those species to tell the difference is put it under a microscope. So it's likely that it may have been mistaken in the past for just an, uh, a native cara. Maybe, maybe not, because it mats so much, it grows so tall, the debate is still ongoing. But now we do have Lake Beltrami, a year after the initial infestations in our area, as well as Wolf Lake. Small infestations, Lake Beltrami actually, we're hand-pulling it because it was so small, almost like weeding a garden, if you can imagine that. And we scuba dive to do those types of things. Beltrami is one. We'll do it again this year when the starry stone gets a little taller. Starry stone are slow to grow. So about three weeks ago, St. Cloud area was showing it at about two inches. And up here, um, which is behind, it was maybe about one inch or so, so not easy to find or see. But once it gets going, it rapidly catches up. We need to wait until we can visibly see it well. So we'll try that hand pulling probably end of July, August. Right now, like for this season, I really don't get starry stonewort reports until people can notice it or, or notice it's a problem, not staying low like our other caras do. 
coming up to the surface and batting. Right now, fingers crossed, we don't have any more <laughs> stonework. <laughs> I'll know more in August. <laughs> Whether you're seeing it in this area or in other lakes that have had it longer, maybe in other areas, what kind of impact does it have on a lake? Well, our lakes in Minnesota are really different. So it's hard to draw um, generalizations across our ecoregions, especially, say, southwest up here, Shell Lakes, like I was saying. Their ecology is completely different than our deeper northern lakes. In Coronas, the infestation was realized when there was about 250 acres of it. That's, that's a lot, and it is moving around the lake, but the, the bay that it has taken over, in that bay, it's pretty shallow. Uh, now they're in the transition zone, so that means, you know, they've got a pretty heavy mix of agriculture down there. Different factors may be involved in the productivity of the lake. It is moving around lakes. So they're surveying that lake, but it isn't in the same amount, so it's not a whole lake full of it like the bay. There's spots of it that are moving around. The treatment that was done in Coronas and all the treatments still ongoing aren't showing a decrease in actual year-to-year or trending biomass. The treatment does help with use and access issues and things like that, but the amount isn't decreasing. So moving up here, where we've seen it, like it acts different in every lake I have it in. Cass Lake, for instance, it was at Knutson Dam. We did a treatment, and um, that was before we really knew if treatments like we were doing could have positive effects or potentially get rid of. We can't eradicate any plant or invasive sequence that's in there, but to essentially effectively manage it. The bypass there was being constructed and, and actually opened after we did that. We can't find any more at the Kaminsen Dam site, so that's a little odd. I've got no reports around Cass Lake of matting stonewort, so where it's at, I don't know yet. Uh, we did do a 1,600-point intercept survey, which is every point you're surveying aquatic vegetation, and didn't find any more. Curious. Now, Winnie has a lot of it. Years after it was discovered, um, we had landowners saying how they couldn't access their docks or get through the mat of it. So it could be different in other parts of Winnie, but specialists and I um, from Region 2 dove that lake just to look at the community dynamic of sorry stonewort and the zebra mussels. So we, we dove in July and we saw sorry stonewort, but a foot high, we were in about 10 feet of water, and lots of native crayfish all over um, using the sorry stonewort, digging in little homes into the sorry stonewort. And we came back in August expecting that we'd see four feet of sorry stonewort. And strangely, we saw a half a foot of so sorry stonewort got shorter. So that could be interactions between the crayfish in that area, which was the southern shoreline. In that area, sorry stonewort acting differently. So uh, I don't know. Now, Moose Lake has a lot of sorry stonewort. It's increasing. Uh, No treatments are being done on that lake. Um, Treatments do require an organization, an entity, like the Lake Association or the county, to, to apply for, do those treatments. Has it taken over Moose? No. Um, we also have different littoral zones than, say, a shallower lake, so no plants are going to grow past the littoral zone, so past the drop-off. There'll be open spots of a lake, and in Moose, center of Moose, 
is pretty deep, so shouldn't be any anything in there. But I've noticed the behavior of people fishing on that lake when I've been surveying it. They're driving or they're trolling the littoral zone. But if they go through a patch of that and what piece breaks off and they just keep going down the shoreline and eventually it falls and floats off, then it's making these little, like, they look like paintball splatters in the other vegetation crawling around the lake with our help. Now in Wolf Lake, we haven't seen it anywhere else than it was first initially found. We do do yearly point intercept surveys on that one. Turtle Lake, we do have a report that it has moved to the north side of Turtle Lake, so we'll see how that works. Now, Turtle Lake has a giant population of native caras, so the surface tourist still does have to compete. And I say this about all of our invasive aquatic plants up here, that our lakes are very healthy. Uh, We have abundant plant populations, and they do impose a um, competition on the invasive as well. So invasives love disturbed, degraded sites. Like they like a nice sandy spot to take to take hold and then go from there. We have a new infestation very recent of Eurasian, and there's just a few strands on the edge of the boat ramp sandy area. It can't like get into the forest of aquatic vegetation yet. So hand pulled those out and, and hopefully we can keep a handle on where it gets to. But it prevent our native vegetation does prevent invasives from essentially taking over. Um, we have Eurasian in say Townline. Townline is actually a shallow lake, not very deep at all, and Eurasian just coexists with the native plants there. Last year it didn't even reach the surface of the water. We just take this information and we adapt our management. So new, you know, very little research has been done on it ever, even in its native range. So we're learning a lot. Red Lake, it's in. It'll be hard to get a foothold for Sarasomore in these big windswept lakes because it doesn't root, doesn't like high wind action. It likes still calm, sheltered areas. Still very easy to spread. So its bulbils are very tiny. They're kind of Velcro-y, if you will, especially like carpeted bunks on a trailer. They'll stick to it and you won't even know that they're there. So very easily spread by fragments, and the fragments are not very easy to see. You know, we live uh, in a time when feel we're getting nagged a lot. Wear your mask, six feet apart, small groups only. And then we go to the lake and we got AIS inspectors and get some people's nerves at times. I've heard that. But you just explained why it is so important that you check it out, you wash your boat off. It takes such a little teeny tiny piece and it's in the next lake. Yeah, a very tiny piece. Eurasian water milfoil is the same way. You know, we're getting more of those infestations locally. It can survive a short trip, and a lot of these can survive with just a little bit of humidity. There was a a research done on Eurasian on on how long you can dry it out and then put it back in water and have it re-sprout, rehydrate. A succession of different number of days that they dried these out and then put them back in water. I think it was 30 days, 0.001% still rehydrated. Very scary to to consider. And with some of these, as Eurasian or starry stonewort, even flowering rush, we were having that uh, around the Detroit Lakes area. In the past, there was a lot of it. Management was super successful with with Diquat, and they've gotten that under control. But it still exists. But a tiny quarter-inch little chunk of its rhizome can re-sprout, and I've seen it. 
So we're having more infestations around the DL area of different lakes getting flowering rush. You wouldn't think so, but the tiniest piece, one node, if you will, like where leaves come out at, one node can make a whole new plant. These invasives are invasives for a reason. They have survival tactics. You know, they're generalists. They populate rapidly, reproduce rapidly. So very important to instill these behaviors, making it routine, like the elevator example, just something we unconsciously, subconsciously do. And we all value our lakes. The hope is that this will be internalized because we all value our lakes. Nicole, for all those people who are new to getting out on the water, uh, as you noted, there's a big increase there, or people who maybe just need a refresher course, all the information on what you should be checking and how you should be acting when you're getting off the water is available on the DNR website. Oh, yes, definitely. We have all these different rules and regulations. We have suggestions. There's YouTube videos to show you how and where to look on different watercraft. The website can get a little, there's a lot of links in it. So just quickly, um, if you go to the first page and go into invasive species and then go into aquatic invasive species, then there's a lot of links where you can click into and read more information. If anyone has any questions ever, just call or email. We'll help you get the information you need or get through um, the different links. A Google search. Fortunately, in this world, we don't have to retain it in our minds anymore because all you have to do is Google it. So a quick Google search will get you a plethora, a wealth of information on how you can help and the dangers or the effects of invasive species and how simple things can prevent these invasive species from getting into other water bodies. My name, Nicole Culver at State mn.us for email so nicole.cover people can email me that's probably the best way if you spot something on a lake as well yeah absolutely email and a picture one good picture is all i need one piece of the plant so if it's a plant in question i just need one piece because a lot of times it'll be just a picture of the pile of plants and sometimes it's hard to see in just the photo the characteristics that i need to see or there's multiple plants in that pile so just taking one stem one strand and teasing it out of whatever pile you're looking at laying it out and taking a photo of it i can id that in seconds all right <laughs> so yeah super helpful people appreciate like a, a quicker response with a photo if i can just respond in five minutes um, instead of having to come out and find a day where we can get out there to look. Absolutely recommend that. Nicole Kovar is an aquatic invasive species specialist for Paul Bunyan Country, located out of Park Rapids with the DNR. Great talking with you, Nicole. Thanks for all the information, and appreciate you taking a few minutes today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Anytime. Coming up next, Bro Brosdahl gets us ready for the weekend. This is Fish in Paul Bunyan Country, presented by Northland Fishing Tackle. Fishing Paul Bunyan Country presented by Northland Fishing Tackle. Getting ready for a weekend of fishing and Lake Whitty might be a place to go. Let's check in with Brian Grove Rosedahl, outstanding guide in Paul Bunyan Country and one of the bright and always positive personalities in the fishing scene. Bro, what's going on on Lake Winnie? Winnie is, uh, is reloading with walleyes. Uh, going into uh, last year, we've seen a lot of... Uh, uh, you know, young of the year walleyes to nine, nine, ten inch walleyes and thirteen inch walleyes. The biggest group of walleyes were the young of the year walleyes. And now going into this year, around 
uh, past opener to the end of June, lots of 19 to 22-inch fish, which you cannot keep, and a few over 23. So it's got a lot of nice big fish to catch. But the eater fish have kind of disappeared, but they're there. They're there somewhere. They're deep or shallow. But when you got really clear because of zebra mussels this year, it's got a double whammy. It's got snails that were kind of purifying the water beforehand. They made it semi-clear. <laughs> now have zebra mussels in it. It's really getting clear. And um, but So the walleyes aren't like they used to be. You, you can't catch a walleye underneath a spinning prop in nine feet of water. Just got to get your line out there a little ways. If you're going to rig, uh, make sure you get a lot of line on the reel and let it weigh out. And do big turns so your line's dragging through an area that your boat hasn't ran over. Um, there are some suspended fish out there uh, that you, you know find the deeper water near the bars. And the fish are hanging at the depth of the bars off the sides. So play around with planer boards, uh, uh, slip bobbers, drag slip bobbers. Uh, dragging slip bobbers is really good. Slip dragging has been a staple on Winnie. Um, fine weeds and pitch plastics in the weeds, but there's a lot of 12-inch fish out there now, just a pile of them, and they're too small to keep. So I'm hoping that people are letting them go because they should get some good growth this summer. we got a good, hot, long summer, so uh, they might be keepers by winter or next year for sure. Uh, so Winnie's going to come back and it's not going to stay down. There's a lot of biomass there, but there's a lot of walleyes coming up. It might be the phenomenal lake for next year. That's basically what I've uh, been hearing from pretty much everybody, even the DNR. They they know that there's that big year class coming in and that by next year there should be uh, the ability to catch some keepers that, that's been tough to find. I mean, finding walleyes on Winnie has always been easy. Finding walleyes to keep the last three, four, five years has been a little bit tougher, but that should change by next year. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I know some fish house rental operations that last year moved their houses because they didn't want to keep pulling up 11-inch fish, 11-inch yeah. fish off the humps. So they pulled off because if somebody's in that house renting a house and they don't know how to handle a fish, there's just going to be a pile of dead walleyes on the bottom because they're they're holding them out too long or they let them eat it too long. So it was cool that these people are considerate and they they leave the little little tiny fish alone. And uh, so we do have a chance. But Winnie has a, for the last 15, 16 years. Uh, that's how far it's been since it was just loaded with eaters. And we got a lot of big fish in there now, big fish biomass. But uh, these fish have been disappearing over and over and over. It's not just walleyes eating walleyes. There's a whole bunch of pike in that lake, so anybody that likes eating pike, get over there and take some. Um, but the the fish are there, and, you know, there's three-year classes that I have seen in my guiding, and I hit Winnie really hard um, in, the, in the spring a little bit, in the summer and the fall. I have, I have clients based on Leech, Cass, Winnie, and Bemidji in the area, um, and what I've seen is I'm not seeing the, the really small ones, and I'm not seeing the the 13-inchers from last year. So I hope they're out there somewhere. It's a big body of water, and with with clear water, they could be there just suspended and um, keep our fingers crossed and hope that uh, other things with teeth don't eat them little walleyes. Well, I tell you, when, when it comes to uh, you know zebra mussels and the other AIS, it really is an adjustment 
for anglers who are used to fish being in a certain spot year after year after year. And as you know, with clear water, that's not the case anymore. It's uh, they've moved, and we got to figure out where. Oh yeah, they move uh, shadowy edges. You know, when the sun's coming up in the morning, just imagine where the shadows would be off the off the spots, off the weeds, and those are going to be, be the places that the walleyes are going to hold to. They're not going to always just sit in a dark shadow, but they want to be near them so they can kind of take off. Um, and though, surprisingly, even in water clarities of twenty feet, walleyes will still come up in eight feet of water, and you can see them from a hundred feet away sitting there. They will not bite. You cannot catch them, but it's entertaining to go look at them. Um, but they they do that to digest food, and so understanding clear water. And I've fished tournaments in states that had clear water a long time ago, um, and and there are lakes that have always been clear without zebra mussels. And, and I've fished in the area. There's some really really clear lakes, and you just fish different. You can't drift for a country mile like. Like the old days, just go out there and drift across the lake, you know, with your line down. You have to be specific in and fish areas very specifically because walleyes will hold in clusters, just like minnows in a bait shop. Instead of spread out onesie twosies, they'll be in areas. And uh, it's still, to me, with, with the changes, the fishing is as good as it ever has been. You just got to change your style of fishing. Uh, but you can also pick the way you want to fish in clear water. You don't have to fish one certain way. I like jigging, and we're jigging all year round. Any chance we get, we, we jig. But after the mayfly hatch, we we still like to use a um, slip dragon with bobbers or speed corking or just plain old slip bobbers. Soaking that bait right in front of the fish for a long period of time makes it want to bite. And I physically yesterday could see a walleye swim up to my leech and then turn away. Just touching the leech and turn away, make a circle, come back and look at it again and turn away. And takes a while, all of a sudden he comes up and he eats it. So it's, it's a patience thing this time of year. But in a few weeks, we'll be ripping plastics and uh, gives you, you know, it's, it's kind of fun. And anybody that's kind of ADD, you definitely want to, get some RZ jigs or some launching fireballs and some smelt minnows and pitch them out. You'll be surprised. And, of course, um, puppet minnows. Uh, for those who want to try something new, um, It's it's you can fish the way you want to. You can still rig, too. Another recommendation is take a roach rig and tie a, a two feet of line and a swivel to the sinker and put a in front of the swivel so you have a three-way rig but you can still let it slip and use a uh, gumdrop floater would work really well elevate your bait keep it out of the slime if you're getting trouble getting slime all over your rigs uh, get a gumdrop floater or Northland floaters in uh, the pill floats and rig up a roach rig but put two feet of line to your sinker and your sinker will have slime but we don't care about that and elevate your bait we are not done with Brian Bro Bros Dawn. Bro coming back with more next as we get ready for the weekend. This is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country, presented by Northland Fishing Tackle. Well, once again, I want to remind you about the upcoming first-ever Lucan's Village Foods United Way Fishing Tournament, also sponsored by Coca-Cola of Bemidji and Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. Very cool tournament. 
Uh, all you need to do is download the Fish Donkey app, find the United Way Bemidji Tournament, and get registered. It's a $200 fee for you and your partner. And you're basically in two tournaments, a bass tournament and a walleye tournament. You can win both. First place in each division is $3,000 based on 100 boats. So you win both, you win $6,000. It might take some work, but it's very, very doable. All right. In addition, we're giving prizes in each division through the top nine. So a lot of chances to win. And you can fish any lake in Beltrami, Clearwater, and Hubbard counties. In, and you have three days to fish them. You get fishing at 7 a.m. Friday, July 24th through 2 o'clock Sunday the 26th. You can fish whenever you want. You can fish how many hours or how few hours you want through those three days. Whatever you can put together, whatever you want to put together. It's catch, photo, and release. Fish Donkey app keeps tabs of where you are and uh, how how you're doing. It, you can get more details at unitedwaybemidji.org or, again, download the Fish Donkey app. Great cause, great tournament. Help the United Way of the Bemidji area. This has been a tough year for all of us, and United Way is really stepping up and doing a lot of work in the community. So this is a very fun and possibly profitable way for you to help a very great cause. Lucas Village Foods United Way Fishing Tournament is also sponsored by Coca-Cola, Fish and Paul Bunyan Country, as well as Nailers, First National Bank Bemidji, and Paul Bunyan Communications, Hills Plumbing and Heating, Amity Graphics, and Dick Beardsley Guide Service. Acme Tools, L&M Fleet Supply, and Northwoods Bait, Dick's Plumbing and Heating, Sanford Health, Visit Bemidji, and Northland Fishing Tackle. This is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country, presented by Northland Fishing Tackle. It's time to check back in with Bro Brosdahl. Bro is one who knows this area extremely well and knows fishing extremely well in general. Are you seeing anything out there this summer that has you concerned? Uh, no, well, <laughs> uh, well, I, I probably a lot more wake boats than I've ever seen before, but not against them, but they're a lot more fun if you're the person in that boat, not the person that has to deal with it going by you. <laughs> um, outside of that, <laughs> uh, there's, yeah, there's a, a lot more big, uh, you know, boats and, and, uh, I watched some go by shore and you just see the erosion of the sand. Uh, outside of that, not really. Everything's great. Uh, we haven't had had a lot of rain. The water's, uh, you know, it's warm because we didn't have a lot of rain. Uh, and outside of that, there's nothing to worry about. There's, of course, there's invasives. Uh, my biggest concern, I think, for our area is probably a little bit too much restrictions on bait. Um, you can go to Wisconsin and get goldies anytime you want. You can go to other states and get bait anytime you want. Um, they have emeralds. They have spot tails in other states. Here, it's super restrictive, and if they're bringing in bait and they're putting them in different water and they're quarantining them for another time, I think we got to reconsider um, bait because bait shouldn't be that tough. And if it, if it gets too tough, we ain't going to have any bait shops. And we're in a live bait area Um our fish physically come up and and bump the bait, and I know there's people who have seen it. They'll pin it to the bottom, and then they eat it. So there are more times than not we have to use live bait. And I think these small mom-and-pop shops don't need any more pressure. They need a little bit, little, something a little bit better, and it's, it's something I think we need to consider is is figuring out a way to have bait like the entire Midwest around us you know, um, we're, ours is really tough, and I hear it all the time, and 
as a guide, you go to a shop and you got uh, two choices, sucker minnows and fatheads a lot of times uh, in a, during a minnow bite, and it's unnecessary. Final question for Bro Brosdahl. Uh, Bro, you are a huge fan of pan fishing. We have a pan fishing group now uh, with the DNR and uh, several uh, community members looking to find ways to get big panfish back in the uh, in the lakes. Uh, wh- what do you think of that effort? Oh, phenomenal! Um, you no know, more people uh, want to see big bluegills and and want to see our big panfish protected because people in the area are starting to realize there's a lot more people up here now because of COVID, because of lack of good resources everywhere, and the, the amount of pressure that lakes down south get is unbelievable compared to our lakes. Now, you know, you see this spring where there's a lot of people isolating, but they're all fishing spring crappies in places that used to have a dozen, two dozen boats, at 70, 80 boats, and it's, uh, can't keep taking. And one thing, a simple thing that we could do is just keep smaller crappies. Let, let someone else catch that big one again. They, they go back, they're recyclable. If you want to take it, but don't take a whole bunch. Um, bluegills really don't need to take a bluegill that touches nine. Anything over nine, we we have an area here that's unlike anywhere else, and I think this is phenomenal the quality uh, bluegill program that they're coming up with the dnr is just phenomenal um, to kind of retain those big fish in the system if you like catching big bluegills part of the sport is chasing them and catching them they're fighting they're great but eat smaller ones i have lakes where i know i can get some seven and a half to eight and a half inch bluegills and just loaded with them and those are great lakes to eat out of but if, if you've got a lake with really big ones you'll just Throw, the, throw anything over nine inches back, and that's a quality fish. If you take them, then the lake will eventually be stunted because the big males uh, actually, comp- the, the fish compete with each other. It's a long story, but when you take these fish out of the system, then the lake will stunt. Okay. Yeah, that's, uh, and anyway, we obviously don't want that, and I, I, I find it uh, really exciting that there's a group of people working on this across the heart of our state, and, uh, you know, I know it might mean some restrictive, more restrictive uh, limits on some lakes, but, boy, if we can get some really nice panfish back, uh, bluegills in particular, that's that's going to be good news for everybody. Well, absolutely, and, and, and the quality of bluegill initiative isn't about saying, oh, you can't have this anymore. Nobody's pointing a finger. They're just saying, can we just keep some of these big ones in a lake and, and let's have some, some quality fisheries that don't exist anywhere else. I've, I've traveled all around the Midwest, all the way to New York. There's hardly any big bluegills left like we have in this area. So the quality bluegill initiative means you want to eat bluegills. Eat all you want, but don't don't try not to take them big ones on somebody's water. Um, and most of the people are on board and I think it, it kind of appeals to everybody, the, the eaters, the releasers, anybody. It's a really cool system, and uh, I got, you know, they've done a really good job, and, and they, they're concerned with what everybody wants to do, and, but everybody wants the same result. They want to uh, catch bigger bluegills, big ones like they used to catch when they were kids or, uh, you know, how it used to be. But there's still really big ones out there, 
and they're harder to find, harder to catch, but what's there? We can bring back all of our systems based on what they're planning on doing, but they're not going to affect all the all the lakes. Um, some just there's lakes that produce big bluegills. Those are the ones we're concentrating on, and and the ones that um, you know there's some lakes with stunting. There's a way to there's a way to kind of uh, work with everybody and work with a lot of different bodies of water, but we have something here that will go away if we don't. Uh, we don't uh, take a little bit of action and things are complicated but that's that's such a simple thing you can't even consider it a complication compared to everything else brian bro brosdahl is one of the uh, great guides and great fishing personalities in paul bunyan country great friend of the show love to have him on bro thanks for taking the time today and uh, do you still have some spots available if somebody wants to use your services oh absolutely uh, just give me a shout I, I still have some stuff available in September and October, and uh, just let me know, and we'll, I'll take you out for walleyes in my beautiful Ranger boat. And you also are a guy who's uh, got a lot of stuff on social media these days. How can people follow Bro Brosdahl? Well, you, you can follow the adventures on Facebook, uh, Twitter, uh, Snapchat, Instagram, uh, and YouTube, and also keep an eye on the Linder, uh, the Linder stuff, Linder's Angling Edge, Angling Buzz, and Good Sam media uh i'll be on that stuff too but uh you can follow the adventures and also check out minfish um is a good organization to uh get with um it's just a it's a an organization there to defend our fishing and not not a bully group just keeping an eye on things bro thanks for taking time today always love having you on the show have a great day hey thanks for having me everybody good luck fishing can't catch them if you don't go Humidity is broke. The heat is broke. It's going to be a perfect weekend to be out fishing. So get out there, have fun, and, of course, stay safe. We'll talk to you next week. Fish out! Bob Barn, yeah! Country! Country!